Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Barbara Fagan, who, in writing about her life in My American Dream, A Journey from Fascism to Freedom, shares the invaluable immigration story, the dedication, the determination, the life that was created, and all it has meant to all of us in this country. Barbara Fagan, good morning. It's so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Well, thank you, Kate. It's great to be with you. So nice to speak with someone from Seattle, though. Well, yes, because you have some footprints here. Oh, yes, very much so. <laughs> and Washington State, because you were at Whitman. Uh, mm-hmm. And yes, having, you know, basically this was your uh, landing in America was uh, being in yes. Seattle, right? Yes. yes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, and I'm not... Um, Although I've lived here, oh goodness, more than half my life now, uh, my origins are actually in central Canada. I grew up in Manitoba. and uh, Oh my goodness, yeah. quite a trip to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, and not only was it a trip to Seattle, it was via Hawaii. So you see, it was even oh, my goodness. <laughs> a little more roundabout, but certainly yeah. not the trek that you had from Germany no. across no. to here, right? Right, right. right. Yes, seeing that on a map is just astounding. So sort of overwhelming. It it yeah. certainly was overwhelming to me when I when I first learned of, of you know my father's journal and I sort of saw what it looked like when it was all plotted out on a map. As my father said, three quarters of the way around the world into the unknown. Yes, that is a captivating statement, and it was exactly the way it was, uh, what you experienced. They had no idea, no idea, no connections, no money, nothing, no idea how they would make a life. But um, they were so elated to be in the land of the free, and they recognized that there there was opportunity, and one way or another, they were very determined, very hardworking, and they knew they would make it work. And they did. I'm really proud of them. Yes, it is such an incredible story, such um, really an inspiring immigration story of being so determined. Uh, well, with your mother working at the newspaper uh, as well. Here she is an immigrant, but she has a column in the Shehalis newspaper. Yes, yes. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, this, it, it was amazing and sort of amusing. You know, here this immigrant woman who spoke no English when she came to America is working for the local newspaper, and she started out as a proofreader, and she was very good at what she did. I mean, she was so determined. She worked so hard to learn what she had to learn, and then she became she became the society editor, in quotes, of the Chehalis Advocate. And, you know, that was sort of keeping her ear to the ground and learning about all the social activities that were going on in town and so forth and writing them up. Um, It's sort of amazing in in retrospect that she was able to pull that off. And she did. She did a great job. She must have to have had the job and to have done it for the years that she did, uh, it, it's astounding because she did not know English when she first came to America, no. to the U.S. No, no, none of us did. Right. None of us did. None of us knew a word of English. Uh, you know, and we were we were such a strange little family in this tiny little town, Chehalis, 
you know, there was there was no one like us at all. Refugees who had no money, no nothing, spoke no English. Uh, we were a strange little outlier group, all fiercely determined to become Americans, you know, and, and that's ultimately what happened. The, the hard work, the determination, your buying your first home, uh, the scrimping and saving in order to make that happen. Mm. That was such a milestone, Kate. Uh, you know, my, my parents really understood that that was part of, of, quote, the American dream, part of becoming an authentic American. And they saved and saved and saved and saved. And, and of course, they, they didn't want to have any debt. That was very important to them. So finally, they had enough money to buy this tiny little house. Now, when I was growing up there, it never struck me that it was particularly tiny. But I went back to look at it a few years ago, and the, the person who owned it was very nice and let me walk through it. I walked into, you know, the living room and, and the tiny little kitchen and the room that had been my bedroom. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is a tiny house. <laughs> but it was, it was a, it, they owned it. You know, it was, it was a great, great milestone for them. Exactly. So your family of four, and then later your grandmother, your mother's mother comes to live with you too. So you're all in what you say is this tiny, tiny house. Scrunched into this little tiny house, right. And so here are the beginnings of your life, really your life, but then your life in the U.S. Because you're just, uh, what, about two years old, three years old yes. when you arrive, yes. right? Two. Two. Yeah. Yes, you're two when you arrive. So uh, there you step uh, into Washington State after this long journey from uh, from Germany. And um, and here you are now across living across on the other side of the country uh, with so many accomplishments in your life. And you look back at this. What are those feelings, Barbara? Well, I, I loved my life growing up in Chehalis. I, I just loved my life. Um, you know, I, I was very, very eager, as I said, to become sort of an authentic American girl, just sort of just like everybody else, you know, and I wanted to have American friends and American fun and be just like everyone. And I always really loved it. My, my mother and my father were Berliners. So they had lived in a very sophisticated environment, you know, very diverse population, which Chehalis was not. Um, and I think my mother was always concerned that I had a very limited worldview, which was right. She was right about that because all I knew was Chehalis. I, I, you know, as far as I was concerned, my life began in Chehalis. You know, that's what I remember and, and what have you. So I just loved it, and I think she was she was concerned that I, I I hadn't opened my mind to what there was in the world, and she really always wanted me to know more. So my my first big transition was when I went to Walla Walla, which to me was a huge town. A Walla Walla, I think, at that time had a population of about twenty five thousand, and you know, the, the sidewalks in Walla Walla sparkled, and I'd never seen anything like that. I think there was mica in the cement or something, and, and I remember writing home to my parents, you know, the, 
there are diamonds in the sidewalk here in Walla Walla. I'd never seen anything like it. I thought I was really in a big city. But that was the beginning of, of sort of the transition for me. And then, you know, when I finished school at, at Walla Walla and graduated from Whitman, um, the real mind-opening experience I had was going to Boston and uh, going to uh, a program that was run a business administration graduate program that was run jointly by the Harvard Business School and Radcliffe Graduate School. Uh, it was a program for women because at that time, women were not admitted directly into the Harvard Business School. Uh, but that was a mind-opening experience, this big, sophisticated city with, with all kinds of different people, with all kinds of different experiences, so much history and... and um, you know, being at the Harvard Business School was, was, you know, just an enormously mind-opening experience. There were so many interesting, well-educated people there, uh, very, a very diverse group. Um, and I, I mean, I loved going to business school, but I just loved the feeling of being in Boston. And I finally was beginning to understand what my mother was talking about when she said, you know, I needed to have a broader worldview than I'd had. Um, that was that was a truly, you know, mind-opening experience for me. And and uh, yes, exciting. And and the things that you were experiencing at that point, as you talk about women not being accepted into the business program, this is something that you were coming up against in your life, even uh, um, really, I think, in high school, and yet. Um, it wasn't a deterrent. It was like you noticed, almost like a, a, a mosquito irritating you, and you'd notice it. But <laughs> you, you just kept on moving. You, you had this greater vision and and a passion, which was really being uh, encouraged and and supported by your parents. Yes, that's true. That's true. And you know, I I really didn't think too much about what some of the obstacles were. I, I was focused on going forward, and the question was, how could I do that? If there were an obstacle, how could I get over it? How could I get around it? Um, you know, I, I, I just didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the problem. I was really focused on the solution. Hmm. You know, how could I get from here to there? That... Isn't that like maybe our biggest life lesson is where we put that focus and what we're doing? Oh, I'm sure you're right about that. I'm sure you're right about that. Um, you know, I and and I mean there there are a lot of life lessons. He talked about some of them earlier. You know, determination and perseverance and resilience. All those things are important because, you know, just like everybody else, I came up on bumps in the road and and kind of had to pick myself up and figure out how to keep moving and how to go forward. I think that probably happens to all of us. But, you know, I think the question is, you know, how can how can you focus on the solution and get to the next step? And um, that is a huge life lesson, yes. And one of those uh, tripping points or one of those uh, obstacles which was the anti-Semitism. We may maybe understand that, although it was still shocking to think of that happening af during and after World War II, because we hoped America had a, a much 
bigger, better vision, but you experienced it then too, and you experienced it again at college. And yet, I don't know if we ever had a a place that it wasn't really so present, but here we are today in 2024, and it's reared its very ugly head again. Mm, That's true. That's true. I I was not, well, I was very naive. Uh, You know, I I, I lived a very sheltered life, really, if I think back on it, in, in our little small town and so forth. And I really was not overly conscious of anti-Semitism, uh, or, or, you know, it wasn't something that people talked about, and I, mm-hmm. I wasn't conscious of experiencing, experiencing it, and, um, you know, when I went to college, um, I mean, it's kind of an, sort of an interesting and, and sort of shocking story in some ways. Um, in those days, virtually, well, the, the great preponderance of both men and women in my college were Greek. They belonged to fraternities and sororities. And sorority rush was a very big deal, and it happened right at the beginning of school. Uh, You know, all the sororities had all kinds of teas and parties and picnics and what have you to sort of invite potential pledges and assess whether or not they wanted to uh, invite them to, to become members of the sorority. And at the end of maybe a week or 10 days, the invitations came out to uh, to join the sororities. And I was stunned because I did not get one invitation. And I thought, surely there had been a mistake. You know, I'd had a very uh, effective high school experience. You know, I was very, very, uh, I did very well academically and I was involved in all kinds of extracurricular activities and leadership roles and what have you. And I thought, what is wrong with me? And I investigated and learned that it definitely was not a mistake. And I never had any idea what the problem was. Eventually, I did get invited to join a sorority, and I did. And the question of why it came later than everybody else never came up. Fast forward to my 50th, 50 reunion at college, and I'm sitting at lunch. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in Walla Walla. The sky is blue. The sun is shining. All my classmates are sitting outside having a picnic lunch, and the woman sitting across from me, who was not one of my sorority sisters, leaned over and very quietly said to me, you know, we would love to have pledged you, but we couldn't. It was the Jewish thing. Well, Kate, I almost fell off my chair. I had had no thought that that was the problem, uh, that, that the barrier for me was the same barrier that had chased my parents running for their lives out of Nazi Germany. Mm. I was beyond shocked. And then I thought, you know, I really was naive that that had not occurred to me, but it hadn't. And for all those years, I never knew what the problem was. And that was my sort of major anti-Semitism experience, you know, personally. Right. And when, if you dissect that, um, it happened, there was a, you felt wounded that you weren't in, uh, invited, at least at the initiation period. But overall, 
And I'm thinking of this as any of us who feel that there's been that whatever kind of, um, oh, I'll call it a slight, but it's a, a wounding. It doesn't shunning. have, uh, it, it doesn't, shunning. shunning, that's it. Yet, maybe in your naivety, you were, you were able to, it just didn't impact how you kept moving forward and you accomplished as much as you have in your life. Well, it was it was crushing. It was a crushing experience at the time because this was such a small school, yes. and you know it was so obvious to everybody that I had been shunned and not invited. And I thought, and this was this. I was so excited about going to college, and and I thought it was going to be so great. And this happened within the first couple of weeks of school, and I thought, oh my goodness, this, I. I I just had to walk tall, go to my classes, try to make friends. I had several different jobs. I worked my way through college, and I had several different jobs, so I worked hard at those. But it was a crushing experience. It took a long time for me to get over it. Did you find you needed to do anything in particular to overcome that? Um, what an interesting question. Not consciously. Again, I just kept moving forward. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, and as I said, I, I was invited to join a sorority. Now, in, in retrospect, I don't know how they figured that out, given given the fact that I gathered there were rules. You know, there were, there were rules against pledging Jewish people. I don't know. I don't know. But mm. I, I just kept trying to move ahead. And friends were very important to me. And when I... When I uh, finally did join a sorority, the people who were my sorority sisters were my dear friends and continue to be my dear friends to this day. So I think I think just moving forward, and I think I probably uh, subconsciously had that modeled for me by my parents, you know, who really came upon many, many obstacles in their early life here, in, in, not to mention their, the obstacles in, in Germany, but uh, in their early life here. And they just kept at it. They just kept at it. Really amazingly. They had to have been yeah. such amazing role models. It, it comes up uh, repeatedly in your father's journal. And, and you, of course, then noted too in, in your writing about how there was only $10.50 after... For from, the whole family. For the whole family from leaving Germany, traveling across the ocean. Uh, your father calls it what, three quarters of the way across around the planet to arrive in Seattle, ten dollars and fifty cents, and and they just found ways to to save that, and yet managed to to uh, to make the journey and scrape by. That oh, talk about really strong character strength. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there are days when my father speaks in his journal about the fact that they couldn't eat. They, they mm. couldn't eat because they didn't have the money, you know, to buy food. And, and they had had tickets on trains that gave them meal service, but there was no food. And, I mean, I can't even imagine it. I can't imagine traveling 17 days in this terrifying, horrific situation 
terrified every time the train stopped, and it stopped 14 times when their papers had to be examined and so forth. And they would be terrified about what would happen when the train stopped, you know. Um, with a two-and-a-half-year-old, oh, my goodness, I just can't even imagine. Nor can I. But it sure does speak to the human spirit as how mm, they just yes. really one foot in front of the other and just uh, that determination and, and I, I guess, uh, spirit pulling them forward and giving them strength. But, yeah, yes. Well, you know, Kate, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, again, in, in retrospect, I didn't think about all this when I was growing up. I was just mm-hmm. focused on, you know, becoming an American girl. Right. But in retrospect, I think they had a vision, I would say, of becoming authentic Americans. And they wanted to have the things that Americans had, a good job, a house, a car. When my father got to the point that he could buy a car, Kate, it was amazing. It was an amazing milestone. They scrimped and saved for the house, and then they scrimped and scrimped and saved for the car. And he was finally able to buy a Studebaker, a Studebaker Champion, which was sort of a popular car at the time. And he called it his Studi. And he was so proud of this. And he, um, you know, I think it was, he had written a, a letter to his parents saying, you know, here in America, even the shop girls have cars. And so when he was able to get a car, it was it was really two things. It was a symbol for him of becoming authentically American, and it was it was a tool that enabled him to really find freedom, be out on the road, go where he wants, take his family on trips, do what he wants. Uh, it was a huge milestone. He was so proud and so happy. It was it was just amazing. And I, that is, in in its own way, it's similar to his working at Sears and his dedication and hard work is noticed and, and how he makes his transitions into different levels of the company and, and really becomes, you know, just one of the businessmen in the town. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So again, both of your parents, so such great role models and and yes it comes through in your book that you're there isn't that discussion of of what happened in germany or what they escaped from it's just really focused on what's here and we're going to make the best life possible uh becoming american citizens and celebrating that oh that was such a big thing becoming american citizens was such a big thing i remember my parents you know, had to had to had to study for their test to become authentic. I mean, to to become naturalized. Uh, I became naturalized through them, but we we had no money. I mean, my father, when he got this job at Sears, earned seventeen dollars a week. So they had to they really live very very frugally. Um, the day that we became citizens. My father said, we're going to go out to dinner at a restaurant. And we've never been in a restaurant, you know, and and I think we've been in America five years now. I think you had to be there five years to get your citizenship. 
So he took us to the coffee shop in the local hotel in Chehalis, the St. Helens Hotel. Oh, we were so excited to be in a restaurant in this little tiny coffee shop squeezed into a booth, but we were celebrating our naturalization. It was another hugely important milestone in our family. Uh, It's those sorts of things that we really need to hear these stories to to maybe appreciate. Well, I'm a naturalized citizen, too, but I think for Americans, people born in this country, to realize, you know, what it feels like to for people to come and make the choice to become a citizen and and the the big thing it is in our life. Oh, yes. Yes. My parents were so thrilled to be in America, so thrilled to be in America. Um, never, ever stopped being thrilled about being in America. You know, they, they, they were so keen on its being the land of the free, and they believed fervently in education. Uh, and they, they really made this very clear to both me and my younger sister from, from very early on. They said, you know, education is, the, is, is, is powerful. It's the door to opportunity for you to go and do and be what you want to be. So, you know, whenever we went on a road trip in the studio, we always, my mother plotted out the, the, um, the you know, on the map what the, what, the, uh, what the pathway would be, and we always went through towns where there were colleges. And we always stopped and toured the colleges and looked at the colleges, and they just impressed upon us how crucial it was to get as much, education as good an education as we possibly could because they understood that that was so important in opening doors to opportunity and that too is something to admire that that encouragement they i would think they were educated people your mother had a very good job in germany because of the rise of hitler your father was then moved out of his job because he was jewish mm-hmm. but your mother still had a very good position so i'm imagining she had education and therefore valued it or she knew the value even if she didn't have uh, a university education well you know it's interesting i don't know very much about my parents background i don't know what kind of education they had I mean, they were both very bright, and they were both, you know, great readers and very interested. I mean, my father was thrilled when he came to America because of the free press in America. He could read whatever newspaper he wanted. He could think whatever he wanted. He could listen to the radio, which we all did in those days, those early days. And, um, you know, whether or not they had university education, I never knew that. I never thought to ask them about that. And it was one of the things that I really reflected on as I was as I was writing my book. I thought, you know, there's so many things I really should have asked about that I, I don't know and I didn't know. It's really one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I didn't want my children to be as ignorant as I had been of what had come before them. Um, you know, so I, I just don't know. I mean, I know that, that they certainly were, were um, well-read, well 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 you know, versed in what was what was happening in the world, uh, and and very smart, and and that is a key thing too. That 
going to university is not a guarantee of someone being really intelligent and accomplished, that it is possible, at least in that era, that their hard work, their determination, their awareness of the world and wanting to read and learn really was critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. Oh, you know, this uh, This is so fascinating, speaking with you, Barbara, about uh, about your early life, about your parents, the leaving Germany during uh, the time of uh, World War II in your book, My American Dream, A Journey from Fascism to Freedom. And, you know, here we are, we've really just focused on a very small sliver, a small fraction of the book. And I, there's so much here that I feel is so relevant and insightful for for all of us that uh, what I'd love to do is to have another conversation with you so we can discuss more of uh, what's gone on in your life because that is really significant what you have gone on to accomplish. Well, that would be terrific. Well, we'll need to plan that and we'll have essentially like a chapter two, correct? That sounds wonderful, Kate. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, in the meantime, though, uh, with the book, it is freshly out, although it came out before, and I think this is a republishing. Is that correct? It was. I, I published it privately for my children ah. and my grandchildren, and this is its first debut into the public. <laughs> uh-huh. Its launch date is January 16th, just in a few days, uh, but people can pre-order it now. And, um, you know, it's in all the, all the relevant places where they might buy their books. It can be pre-ordered. And they can learn more on my website, Kate. It's Barbara Fagan, one word, F-E-I-G-I-N is my last name, dot com. Uh, all, the, all the background and details are on the website. So uh, people who are interested, and I hope they will be, should take a look. Absolutely. I highly encourage and recommend doing so. There is so much that we can learn that uh, it just inspires us, but really makes a difference because of its relevance in our world today. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you for our time today. I greatly appreciate it. Okay, we'll talk again soon. That brings us to the end of this very full hour of Inspirational Women with Barbara Fagan and Sunday Morning Magazine with Mary Beth Stibbins with Braver Angels. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the Listen tab, then Podcasts, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of feeling the gratitude for what we have and be ready to grow it for a better, stronger country. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.